I'm very excited to share with you new intro and outro music, courtesy of our friends at Hembry from their new single, Reach Out. I'd encourage you all to check out Hembry. They're amazing. You can find their music on Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to music. Thank you, Hembry, so much for allowing us to use your amazing song in our podcast. Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jake. And this week, we're back with another What We Talk About episode to discuss the types of feedback in games. How are you doing this week, Jake? I am doing very well. I am uh, just made it back to St. Louis after spending 10 days in Kansas so I could uh, participate in a multi-week kickball tournament and uh shout out to my love garden squids uh just a little bit of lore in the background of our last episode there was a little bit of tension in the air because me and simon knew our teams were going to be going up against each other on sunday uh the first when we played simon's team in the regular season they beat us 18 to 3 but we were able to get our revenge in the quarterfinals uh eight to three and move on where we ultimately lost in the semifinals to the reigning champion in one of the most epic kickball games I've ever played in. We were down zero to six after about two or three innings fought all the way back, tie it up eight, eight in the ninth, took a one run lead in the 10th extra innings. They got one back. Uh, we were unable to score in the 11th and they did win on a walk off. Um, but it was a, a lot of fun. And so I'm just a little bit, I'm still like, you know, glowing and just jazzed up about that experience. If you have to end a season, that's a good way to end a season. I mean, if you have to end it in a loss, obviously exactly. the best way is to end it winning it all. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We felt like we left it all on the field. That's awesome. That's yeah. so great. That's really cool, Jake. I appreciate having that little bit of follow up. And I, I was like, I was excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to lean into and discuss like the vindication of beating Simon and Steve <laughs> and what a great like comeback this is. And then, no, like you had this even higher moment. So that's really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. And I, I'm also just really pleased with the reaction to our uh, kickball episode last week. It seems like a lot of people listened and enjoyed it. I know uh, a little bit out of left field, but it's so cool. Um, that people did go ahead and listen in and were willing to engage with that kind of content. And I think that speaks uh, really highly about the community of listeners that we've built. So thank you all for all the positive feedback on that one. Definitely. We're, we're board game podcast first and foremost, but I think when people allow us or when we allow ourselves to just really lean into the fact that the heart of decision space is just that we're a podcast about the decisions in games. I think that's when we make some of our most interesting stuff. So as much as y'all have an appetite for hearing us discuss things that aren't just board games, I think Jake and I are always excited to do it because I think it teaches us things about board games too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these they're all games on some kind of spectrum and I honestly love them all. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, talking about loving them all, for all you pre-planners out there who want to prepare for future game episodes, obviously this is uh, one of our more topical what we talk about episodes. Next week, though, we're going to be doing a traditional deep dive decision space exploration of the game 
Villagers, a drafting tableau building game. Uh, it's really like it's sort of an interesting card combo system that's more rigid than most card combo systems that I've ever seen. But that game just had, it, it's a Kickstarter game that just had another big Kickstarter expansion. And you can also play it on uh, Yukata if you're interested in checking it out. And then the week after, we're going to be playing a very classic playing. We'll be exploring. I don't know that we'll be playing it live on the show, uh, but exploring a sort of classic card game in Jaipur. So if you want to prepare for that, uh, intimate two-player resource trading game, uh, it's sort of a numbers on cards game that pretends it's not. And I think that'll be another interesting discussion. A numbers in, on cards game that kind of is a lot deeper than it might first appear. I wonder if Brendan's going to enjoy that one at all. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tune in in two weeks to find out. Uh, but this episode, feedback. So I, I really like when we have the opportunity, Jake, to do these episodes where I think when we set out to, to make Decision Space... Uh, I, I would be remiss not to mention that this is episode 30 of Decision Space, wow. which is a pretty cool milestone. It is. Um, it, it snuck up on me how many episodes we've done. It has me as well. I was telling Maya, my wife, last night, I was like, this is episode 30. And she was like, really? It doesn't feel like it's been that long. But I feel like we've tread a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's also just a testament to how much fun it's been mm. to, to make all these episodes. and. Uh, you know, no, no signs of slowing down. Definitely. And when, at the outset, I feel like one thing we knew we were going to have to do when we pulled out this frame was create, to the best we could, new language or engage with language that exists and sort of tease out what it means in the context of our overall lens of looking at games through their decision spaces specifically. Um, so whether that was like talking about different types of decision spaces and our waxing, waning, uh, you know, dynamic and static decision space and how that grew out from there or our discussion of signposts. And uh, a lot of these episodes have really been trying to equip ourselves with different types of language Definitely. to talk about decision spaces. There's, it's interesting as board gamers in this community, we have a lot of shared language, but that's kind of it on the surface level. And, and it's not clear that we're always using the same kind of definitions about you know what decision space is, <laughs> or uh, as we're going to be talking about today, feedback. In yeah, games. and I think feedback is such an important topic because I think feedback is something we all sort of like generally talk about and vaguely know. I sort of came into contact with the term first. I think on episode forty-eight of Ludology. Ludology is a podcast that's now like over well over three hundred episodes. I think so. This was many years ago, but there's an awesome episode where they just sort of talked about like what is feedback and what does it mean to look at a game as a system. And I think their definition is sort of feedback is a anything within a game within a system that causes a change based on the state that it's in in the future. Um, so we can oh get more into what <laughs> they're sort of saying. But I think generally for this podcast, our goal is to kind of go beyond just like what is feedback. And think of feedback as anything within a decision space that gives an input to the player about what they could or what has happened or what they could be doing based on what has already happened within the game. Help me, Jake. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's dive into that because I don't know that those definitions in the abstract are going to be super helpful to our listener. But I think as we go through this and talk about the different kinds of feedback loops that take place... Uh, examples from games, that idea will become a lot more clear. I think what I think about uh, 
when I think about feedback in games uh, is sort of, uh, I almost kind of immediately think of like a more cynical aspect of it uh, where I think of like mobile games, right? And how Mm. all these like super popular mobile games that get like 100 million downloads, like Candy Crush and stuff like that, it's constantly giving you feedback. Mm. You're constantly doing something in the game that's giving you a reward, that's lighting up the bell on your screen, that's giving you coins, right? And it's just this like sense of like this constant feedback loop that's really uh, playing into your your brain chemistry to like give you endorphins. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen exactly like that in games, but I think there are ways that games kind of trigger that same type of thing too. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think this is why this conversation will be so useful as we try to tease out the different types of feedback, because I think games are actively trying to give feedback to the players in different ways, where like a game like Candy Crush is not necessarily changing the agency that you might have within the game as it's giving feedback in a way that like a lot of board games might. But there are board games that give feedback in the same way as Candy Crush. So maybe as before we jump right in to feedback, um, besides like why to why are we trying to talk about these different types, which is really just like I think understanding feedback is going to give us a sense for how different decision spaces feel. And I think a game with no feedback is maybe a game with no decisions. Like, but maybe that's not even true. I, to my mind, I was thinking of a game like Slots or Bingo, two games with no decisions. But even those games have some feedback, which maybe we'll start to tease out in in this episode. Yeah, I know now it's clicking that you said slots. I thought you said sloths. It's like, like, what is that? I'm intrigued. Is that some kind of like uh, war style card game or uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You play over 365 days and you can only play one card a day. (laughs) And so it's like very slow feedback. That's interesting. Um, But yeah, I think uh, two to add on to that, when the more we parse out things that go into decision space, I think it does unlock new ways that the listener can think about games uh, to perhaps give them insight in the same way, you know, waxing, waning, static and dynamic decision spaces might help people realize oh wow i'm actually somebody that really enjoys engaging in a waxing decision space i think as you listen through this conversation and we try and define different types of feedback loops in games it might have that same kind of effect where it's like oh you know i really enjoy engaging with this type of feedback loop where this other one over here for whatever reason uh you know doesn't appeal to me in the same way Totally. And I think while we discuss these different types that we sort of identified, we might talk about some of the consequences on the game for them. No type of feedback is necessarily good or bad in the game. It just has consequences for how the game plays out. I think that's probably the best kicking off point to talk about the first type, because this is probably the most consequential in some ways in how a game feels and can shake out. So we're going to mostly, I think, contextualize our conversation in positive feedback and then talk about negative feedback and what that does for games a little bit more at the end. Um, But Positive agency loops. So this is the type of feedback that most people are talking about when they're talking about feedback in games. So this is the idea that you do something in a game that gets you a resource or something, and then that increases your agency to do more of that thing. So maybe as an abstract example, you get food, which allows you to plant a farm, which allows you to get more food to plant more farms. So your your agency overall increases as you play the game, and that loop of planting 
planting crops, to get food, which gives you seeds maybe, to plant more farms. Um, a lot of economic games are sort of based on this sort of positive agency loop, your ability to do more as the game goes on. Yeah, and I think, should we kind of get into some of the examples of, yeah. of games that, that do this uh, well? So I guess one of the ones that I'm thinking of right off the bat is Underwater Cities. That's one we've covered on this podcast before. Uh, and, and that one has these three distinct uh, production phases, I guess two during the game and one at the very end of the game before you score. Uh, and at that point in the game, all the buildings that you've built are going to be paying out in some way, whether that's giving you kelp, giving you credits, giving you steel, giving you science, or giving you victory points. Um, and so it, it has this real tempo to it where you start out resource poor, uh, and then you get paid out in all these resources and you have so much more energy. You have so much more ability to take actions and accomplish uh, things in the game, which in and of itself is building more infrastructure on your board so that the second time you get to the production phase, you're getting even more, uh, which, you know, just plays back into that same loop. So I think it's a really clear example of that uh, positive agency loop uh, that you're just defined. Another good example from the podcast, I think, is Keyflower. Uh, which is a game where you start with your only resources are your your workers. They're both your currency and your your worker placement resources. And then over the course of the game, you're getting new tiles and then upgrading those tiles that allow you to do more powerful effects. And generally, though, sometimes workers will leave the system. Uh, most of the time, more workers are being added to the system. So the amount that you can do on turn one of the game versus the last turn that you take the last round in winter is just a huge difference in the amount of actions that you're taking in a given round um, and the sort of different things that you're doing so positive agency loops in games generally give games this like strong sense of momentum uh, and feeling of energy as they pull forward but then they can also lead into sort of snowballing problems and like the classic example here i think in a game designed around a positive agency loop uh, in a lot of ways just but can get out of control is risk uh, as you control more space and sort of win more conflicts, you're getting more cards that pay out in larger and larger armies. So it really makes the game the trying to aim for getting a snowball where you get a ton of troops and then see how far you can just push those troops on the board. And I always like to go to classic examples sometimes because I think they also illustrate some of the negative consequences of feedback loops or of these sort of core concepts. And that's that snowballing can be really not fun if there's no... Uh, if a player gets ahead, right, this is a classic problem with all these sort of positive agency loop based feedback games. If a player gets ahead and there's no negative feedback to come in and sort of slow that player down, they can just continue to spiral out of control for forever. And Underwater City is a great example of how the game controls that is you only get paid out twice and then one time at the end, that's just your points. Um, so there's not too much opportunity for the snowball to roll too far down the hill. But even in underwater cities, and we found this not to be the case in our experience, there was some complaining about like the kelp strategy, mm. big kelp, right? Big which kelp, is, yeah. Which is that same idea that if you just invest all of your resources into this one aspect of this game, this one positive feedback loop, uh, that you're going to get like so many, so much kelp and so much victory points by just pumping that engine as much as you can, uh, that it could, you know, theoretically, or at least some people have experienced it as like a over-centralizing strategy or even kind of a runaway leader problem. Um, so I do think that in, you know, this maybe is, is uh, too big of a claim, 
but it, it seems like a lot of the time, at least, when you're on Board Game Geek in the forums and people are complaining about an overpowered strategy, it's some some positive agency loop in a game uh, that right it, it it feels as though like if somebody just focuses on this and does this as much as they can throughout the game, uh, then you know it, it creates so much momentum that they can't really be caught by other paths to victory. Yeah, which is there's and there's lots of different ways that games can or try to address it, whether it's opportunity, right? You can only invest so much in this. Or another example from the show's history, going back to the very first game we ever covered, Kanagawa, I think does a really good job of illustrating that this is a spectrum. There's some games that uh, the, the loop can can loop as many times as possible and it keeps having this greater and greater magnitude of effect on the game or in a game like Kanagawa there is a positive agency loop the longer you play the game the more access to different resources that you get the more paintbrushes that you can get which are really ways to increase your currency of buying different items but there's a hard limit on how much money or agency you'll really ever need so once you get to a certain threshold there's no reason for the loop to loop anymore and have it be meaningful because you've hit the ceiling of where the positive agency loop could could end up, which I think is a, is a sort of interesting way to add a little bit of momentum while keeping sort of a, a ceiling or a tighter band on the game and not letting it spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to go back to your point about kind of the feel of these uh, decision spaces that are sort of centered around the positive agency loop is I think you find... Uh, that a lot of these games can also struggle with tempo at times. Like uh, there can be a challenge for designer and sort of reining that in, because I think a lot of these games that focus on this type of feedback uh, are the kind of games that, you know, the first, it starts out like very quick. We're all taking really quick turns, but then at a certain point of the game, you know, it's like the, the last two rounds could take as long or longer than, you know, the previous five or six rounds combined. And I think, uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak is a great example of that, where, you know, you're building up by buying items and, and getting additional resources in the early part of the game. And things are just like so snappy. Uh, and then once you get into the last round or the second to last round, uh, you're actually in a position to start, you know, spending those resources and you can really start chaining combos together uh, to to a point where, it slows the game down just a bit. I mean, it's still a game we really enjoy, but I think that's just something to to be aware of. Uh, uh, Terraforming Mars is perhaps a better example of that kind of dynamic where the last few rounds can really be slow. Yeah, definitely. Terraforming Mars is less tightly bound in a lot of ways than Arnak. Arnak's such an interesting example because it happens in such subtle ways. You just add a few cards to your deck and you reveal a few new sites that give slightly more resources. And then all of a sudden you feel like you have so much more agency to do to run up the, the, the temple track in that game. So another one that I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention because it's sort of, we've been focusing on games that I think highlight the positive agency loop is a game like Dominion, which I think it has this really important positive agency loop where you're getting new cards that allow you to do more on a given turn in the game, right? Like if you, your base deck, you have very little agency in what you can buy. Uh, As the game goes on, you're getting uh, more currency, but you're also getting cards with more powerful effects in the base game, things like Smithy or the village that are just building actions and draws on top of each other to potentially combo. But then that game, because it wants to be cognizant of the fact and the brilliance of that design is it has a negative agency loop 
bolted onto the back end in terms of its scoring. And when you're adding estate cards and the other resource or the, excuse me, victory point cards into your deck, that's actually decreasing your agency. So the fun of that game is trying to time the, the positive agency loop against all the other players in the game with a negative agency feedback that you're going to get when you add the victory points to your deck. So that's, a, right. I think, a cool example. Yeah, and I think just deck builders in general, right, are pretty much squarely in this camp for the most part, right? You're getting money to buy better cards, which, you know, think, I mean, think about, you know, Star Realms, right? You're getting money so you can buy better cards that give you more money uh, so you can buy better cards that then do a lot of damage to hopefully win the game. Totally. Almost any game that we think of as being an economic game is yeah. going to be a, a positive agency loop game. So I feel like that's probably... Do you have any final thoughts on positive agency loop, Jake? No, I, I, I think we'll probably circle back to it maybe at the end with some kind of closing thoughts discussion. So let's, let's, let's check out the next one on our list. Awesome. So this one is one that we thought of as we're going to call incremental victory condition feedback. Um, so it's sort of a long name. If you have a better <laughs> name for some of these terms, let us know. Um, but this is an idea where it's feedback within the game that doesn't actually increase your agency in terms of progress in the game, but gives you feedback at how you're doing the game, right? So in this example, maybe in a game you're getting food, but instead of getting more food from that food by planting it to get to you know grow crops, you're getting food to sell that food to gain points. Um, so it's making agency uh, or potential leave the system. So another example of this is in, like in Arnak, when you move up that temple track, um, yes, you're potentially getting agency from some of the little resources that are on it, but you're also just as you're increasing, getting feedback as your points increase every step that you get further up the research, the research track. Yeah, I think, I hope I'm getting this right, but I think a great example of this for me and a classic example is Castles of Burgundy, mm. where you're getting... You, th throughout the game, you never really get more agency. Your turns are your first turn you take in the game is just as powerful as you know the last turn. You have the same amount of uh, there's small tweaks to that, of course, but you have the same amount of die. You're getting two actions. You're taking tiles, placing tiles, but over the course of the game, completing territories right is gonna give you this big boost of points where you get to race your uh, marker around the scoring track outside the board. And I think that's kind of the feedback here that's like, okay, you're doing well, you're getting success, you're, or you're getting the majority if you're the first person to complete certain areas and taking that tile. Uh, so I think to me, that's kind of a great example of this. In neither case are you increasing your agency in the game, but it really feels like, oh boy, that's like 30 points right there. Woo! Yeah, totally. And the payoff from the, the territories is such a great example of that, too, is like it, it starts so high and then goes lower as the game goes on. Another example that came to mind for me that has basically no agency loop and is all incremental victory condition feedback is Welcome to the roll and write game that Jake and I really enjoy that we covered previously on the show. That game on every given turn. Your, feet, your agency is actually going down as you're filling in different spaces, but the way that that game gives you feedback is by giving you points for different things that you're doing, whether it's building pools or parks, those give you short-term feedback, uh, potentially getting different uh, arrangements of real estate, which give you feedback, uh, or even sort of the objectives cards that you can, the first player to get them gets a, a few more points than uh, a different player. Those are all examples of just incremental victory condition feedback. And we, I think we're saying incremental victory condition feedback because it could be points, but it might not always be points. 
Um, though generally, I think it will be. Points it could be. It could be. I mean, it could be like a, a race, right? Something that's yep. uh, moving you along the the track uh, or, or around the racetrack, something like that. So it's not totally. necessarily victory points, but I think something like that would fit squarely into this. Definitely. I think another good example will be when we have our Jaipur episode. Uh, that's another game where your agency isn't changing very much. There's a little bit with getting camels uh, where you can have really swingy turns. But overall, the feedback in that game is more so about the game paying you out with points at different points in time. Um, I think that not all games have this. And some games like, say, chess have objectives that you're trying to meet, but don't really give you feedback in this sort of way, right? So chess doesn't say, chess doesn't have points. Obviously, players have added a point system to talk about the value of different pieces, but there's no like, I'm going to capture your rook and now I have five extra points. And if I get to 20 points in the game, I win. A player with fewer, quote unquote, points in chess based on the value of pieces can still win that game. So you're, you're getting agency feedback if i capture your pieces jake my agency in the game is going up to that's control what i was you. gonna say right yeah it gives you more good moves Ex- good it gives you squares. more good moves. yeah your agency goes up but you're not getting you're not really getting feedback about your potential to win the game outside of just having a better chance to do it you can win the game of chess by being in a worse position in terms of points on the board yeah i guess if you were playing chess on like the app that was tracking like who's in the lead mm-hmm. that bar would be the incremental victory condition track but of course that doesn't exist on the table in a game of chess exactly yeah just like an imaginary thing that we've strapped to chess to help yeah. us learn yeah yeah i think that one interesting thing is some games sort of hide the outcome until the end of the game so one example that came to mind um was Modern Art. So Modern Art is a, a classic auction game by Rainer Knizia. You start with $100 in cash and a handful of cards, and your money is going to determine whoever has the most money at the end of the game wins. Um, but your money is hidden, so every round you're actually going to be paid out with more money. So you have a sense for how much money every player might have, but it's actually hidden how much someone actually has. Um, so you're getting some feedback and you're getting feedback from the game at, at the end of each round as you're paid out for the paintings that you've purchased based on how popular they are. But there's no way to sort of look at a board and say, okay, Jake is further along on the cash track than I am. You just have to sort of judge out where you think different players are in that. So it's interesting how designs can play with this uh, incremental victory condition feedback, maybe hiding it or putting it at different points in the game. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. One game that came to mind with the hidden score is Red Rising, mm. uh, which I guess is you know very uh, analogous to Hero Realms, if you've played that. Um, or sorry, Fantasy Realms, rather. Uh, and, and that is you're basically building a hand of points. So your, your hand is hidden. Uh, when you're taking a card that completes a combo, you're getting that feedback at that moment but at a different point in the game you might then exchange that card for something else so it has this interesting it's i think it's interesting the way that kind of ties in to that incremental victory condition feedback because it's incremental but it's also like temporary you know Or, or or maybe a different game where you know you have 
you know, if you hold the majority, if you hold a territory, like you get points mm-hmm. that could then be like taken away if somebody else takes over the majority. I think Dune Imperium has something like that as well. So I think that's just kind of a, an interesting uh, a little riff on this type of feedback in a game where it's giving you the feedback. It's like, hey, you got these points, but they could go away. Yeah, and then you could have the negative, the the reverse version of this, right? The negative incremental literary condition feedback where something goes wrong for your game state and you get knocked back down. So a great example of like the mirror of that. And I guess in my modern art example, I should have, I, I had a continuation of this thought, which is that in that game, because your currency is your victory points, that's a positive agency loop coupled with an incremental victory point condition feedback. Because your victory points are your agency, your money, your ability to do things within the game, they're one in the same, which is pretty interesting. Not a lot of games completely couple together and make those two things the exact same, but some do and say, you're going to be bidding with your points. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be bidding with a lot of them. Five Tribes does the same thing, and I absolutely love it in that game. It just makes it so visceral, right? When you're like bidding, you're like, oh, these are these are points. It makes it feel so different. Definitely. And it it makes the decision space feel highly consequential when you have that too. So maybe the next one that we can talk about is one that Jake and I have discussed on the podcast podcast a lot before, uh, sort of in passing. And this is a term that I think in the context of this conversation, I'm sort of frustrated because I don't think it matches completely how we've been using it, but that's bingos. Um, so bingos, of course, are the sort of rare and notable game states that players might achieve through a combination of skill and luck. So Jake and I have used this. It's a Susan McKinley Ross term. She's the designer of Quirkle, and she's coined it in a really good GDC talk that you should definitely listen to if you're curious. Um, And it's basically sort of these like notable things that could happen, like filling in your whole board in patchwork or shooting the moon in a game of hearts or playing a perfect game of Castles of Burgundy, like Jake and I discussed on that show. It's like feats that you could feasibly accomplish in the game, but are so rare that they're this really exciting moment of feedback when it happens, where the game's sort of saying, look how great you are. You did this really difficult thing. Yeah. I, and the interesting thing, I think, with that is, like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has nothing to do with your score right like if you achieve it you've won because of some other means so this is Mm -hmm. something that's like beyond that like layered on top of that right if you complete the perfect game of patchwork you've won the game that you're playing in right but it's it's separate from that it doesn't actually give you any points to do that yes or it's agency right it's like in a video game it's like an achievement is what it is right Totally. I wonder if honest if that might even be like a better kind of terminology for for this yeah is like an achievement because when we think about bingos right uh you know when, when you talk about the uh incremental victory in or sorry uh uh when you think about like welcome to right you're getting this points sometimes it feels like a bingo like a bingo is when you get the exact card you need with the exact feature on it to complete the exact thing like that is a feels like that um so maybe that's not the you know so maybe it just has two def- different definitions but uh i think that's kind of the way i'm thinking about it it's like something like pops up over your head like i just played a game of lost ruins of arnok and for the first time ever i got my magnifying glass all the way to the top of the track and my book all the way to the top of the track and i like screenshot it and shared it in our discord because i was just like so excited to like 
okay, like achievement unlocked. I've done this thing in the game. Yeah, I think that's a way better way to think about it and to phrase it. So I think maybe we'll we'll rewind and we'll call it, yeah we're gonna call this the achievement feedback which i think it, it fits so much better and i think colloquially maybe we'll keep using that term bingo for when we're trying to suss out what we're feeling but i think in thinking about this type of feedback that's exactly what it is yeah it's something that you can brag about as a, a cool thing that you achieved and i think it's good because it helps distinguish it from the next type of feedback that i want to talk about which maybe a traditional bingo in the game of bingo uh, some people are going to be mad and say bingo's an activity, you jerk. But uh, <laughs> I think bingo's a game. Um, is jackpots, and I would say that jackpots are a form of feedback that are just output ra- randomness. They're positive feedback, but it doesn't actually tell you anything that you did well. It just rewards you for doing something generally. Um, so it's a form of feedback, but it's not helpful in terms of adding depth or nuance to the decision space, right? So in the game of Yahtzee. Um, you can just, if you roll the dice and you get a Yahtzee, all of your dice are the same, uh, die value, right? You roll your six dice, you get six sixes. Great. You got a Yahtzee. You didn't do anything. You didn't make any decisions. All you did was you played the game and the game said, congratulations. You, you did the best thing you could possibly do in the game. Um, and I think that the interesting thing about Yahtzee is that there's sort of nuance in what a Yahtzee means, because if you do it the first time. First try, it's a jackpot. But if you put effort into it, right? In Yahtzee, you get to do three re-rolls and decide what dice you want to re-roll. So if you make decisions that allow you to shape your turn into outputting a Yahtzee, well, then it's maybe closer to like an achievement or a bingo in that state, right? Because you've actually made decisions that have put you in the position to roll a Yahtzee. Um, So that's kind of cool because it's a game state and a type of feedback based on what can occur they can mean and be really two different types of feedback. Though I think Yahtzee kind of tries to trick you and sort of say, if you roll a Yahtzee first time, like it's kind of the same thing and you should be even more excited. Yeah, you're so smart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at you, you've Look done it. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I think it's really interesting. And I think what you're pointing out, I think is like, it really, I mean, so, so this is like rolling the natural 20 of yes. board games, right? Um, but you know, the interesting thing about rolling a natural 20 is like, you're still like choosing an action in Dungeons and Dragons. You're like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to attack with this or, you know, I'm going to try and jump across the creek, whatever. I'm I'm not very experienced in role playing game, but I think I'm I'm making the point. And and so I think like very often in gaming, you know, the, the, the times when it's just you know, your first role Yahtzee devoid from any decision at all are very rare. And yeah. more often it will come up as the result of some agency. Uh, right. It's, but it's just like the perfect outcome. And, and so, so lucky that you got the outcome that is, you know, it's, it's more of like the heart of the cards to go for Yu-Gi-Oh, right? It's like, I, there's one card in my deck to, that gets me out of this situation in a game of magic or Keyforge. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to play my turn so that I hope I draw that on my next turn. And when sure. you do it to me, that's a jackpot, even though it's still like, there is potentially a lot of skill that got went into like shaping the game state to get to the point where that jackpot could happen. Interesting. I like that. So decoupling the definition from like, not having agency because there are situations that can really feel like feedback that are jackpots within games that do have agency. I'm intrigued. I'm yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
I think your definition makes sense, like from a strictly like academic standpoint. But when you think about the world of, you know, like applying it to actual games. Yeah, yeah. It seems like very, very rarely would it actually be devoid of any agency. I like this, too, because I think that translates a little bit better to a negative version of this, which I don't know if there's a a word for this, but it's like a a fail pot or like a non pot or something, right? Where you like, uh, you know that you have a 95% outcome in the decision that you're making. So you're going to make that decision. And then there's a 5% chance something could go terribly wrong. And it does happen. That type of feedback is real. And it definitely does exist in games. It's not super common that games are designed to have that sort of mechanic anymore. Uh, But the flip side, like there's definitely sort of things that could occur. I think Um, that's a, I think that's a great one and an important one that we should come up with a better name for maybe well, you don't fa- like fail pot <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe fail pot's fine but we just gotta com- we gotta commit to one because i think that's something that comes up in our conversations actually kind of a lot uh when we talk about games that have the potential just to fail right like yeah. like my favorite game of all time bruges has that where you could just by sheer luck get the wrong rolls based on what you have in your hand you know not be presented with the right type of uh right color of cards that you'd need and it's way outside your control you just got variance out of even being able to play the game i mean nothing magic the gathering has it in spades it might be like the most defining part of magic the gathering uh which is you know sometimes right it's or poker maybe even a better example like you can you can go all in on pocket aces versus two seven the worst hand in the game uh and lose and, and lose yeah so I don't know. I mean, I think I think that is a, a interesting. Like the reverse jackpot is a type of feedback all in and all of itself, and maybe it's you know the same thing. Really, what we're talking about is extreme, yeah, probabilities taking place. If you, uh, dear listener, have a a nice term you like think is better than fail pot as the inverse of jackpot, you should let us know whether it's in our Discord or by let it responding on board game geek to our blog post or on twitter we'd love to hear from you yeah i one thing it makes me think of too and i'll shout out as i was uh you know the youtube algorithm gave me this these videos of magic the gathering i was watching the other day and i'm gonna google the guy's name and put in my in the show notes here but the videos were titled something like the most unlucky game of magic gathering caught on camera and it, it it goes through you know the person has the combo online and they just need to see like one threat and it goes through like watching them see like 30 cards and it does the (laughs) math that's like that's like a one in 500 chance and it happens in like the championship of this game or like the luckiest game of magic ever you know that shows the person drawing like exactly the three cards they need in order as their only possible out to win the game um and i mean i think like having that possible in the game is like that is what makes magic magic and i think it you know is what makes bruges so exciting to me too uh you know like having the opportunity for these like crazy outcomes that happen is something that i think really impacts like the feel of the decision space in a way positively for me and in, in that it's like i want to keep going back to it like just because i want to see what's going to happen totally because in a way, like games that allow this have s- potential for such higher highs and rare high highs can be so fun to chase despite the low lows that might push you away from the game. Uh, they can just feel like garbage. Right. Yeah. So 
I feel like that kind of rounds out our conversation on positive types of positive feedback in games. And the negative feedback, I think, is basically this this sort of inverse, as we've been talking about, of a lot of these. But I think we, Jake and I would be remiss to not finish this episode by just talking about some examples of at least negative agency loops and negative incremental victory condition feedback in games. Um, so maybe we can do that, Jake, and then close with a few final closing questions. Sounds great. So... In terms of negative agency loops, again, these are uh, things that happen in a game that reduces your ability to do that same act or do something else within the game system in the future. Um, So one example of a negative agency loop in a game is the disease spread in pandemic. Um, Basically, in pandemic, if a number of uh, disease cubes end up in a given space, uh, three, and then another one is going to be placed there, it there's an outbreak and it adds a cube to every single space around it. So that's a version of negative feedback because it decreases your ability to deal with that problem in the future. Um, and an interesting thing about pandemic too, is that it also has a really strong positive agency loop, which is that when you cure a disease, all of a sudden you can just like slap disease off the board way easier than you ever could have of that same type. So like Dominion, that's another example of a game really built on these sort of dueling positive negative agency feedback loops. And the players are trying to really steer the positive loop and the negative loop and control them as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. What what do you think about a game that has like a one-time ability? Like something like that, like, okay, you can do this super powerful thing or maybe like a card right in your hand. But then once it's played, you don't have it anymore. That's really interesting. Does that count as a negative feedback loop? Yeah, I'm wondering about because I mean, it would like once you've spent it. Yeah, that that reduces your ability to interact with the game. And I think a lot of times in games like that, you know, the challenge is like playing it at the exact right optimal moment because later in the game it's like oh dang like this would have been the perfect time for this card or ability but i don't have it anymore i think that that's somewhat akin to games that might give you a downside for being in first place like in race games like in flam rouge if you're away from the pack there's a potential that you can get exhausted so if you're too far ahead of everyone else uh it gives you the negative feedback of hurting your ability to pedal your bike and get ahead in this race game uh and it sort of hampers you so i I feel like these are timing considerations right where like in in that game you want to be in second until the very last turn when in which case you would like to be in first or other like race games like that right like even mario kart's a good example uh to give a video game example where the person in first place gets worse items from what they're paid out than a person further back in the pack so you're getting negative feedback uh, agency feedback for being the leader. Whereas if you're further back in the pack, you're going to get better items like blue shells uh, that are going to give you a positive agency feedback loop every time you pick up an item box that tries to get you further ahead. Is this, are we just like uh, falling kind of backwards into like discovering that uh, catch up mechanisms are negative agency loops for th- the people ahead? Definitely. I think almost always catch up mechanisms are that way, though they could be, I think not, that's not, I know, it could be positive for people. It could who be are positive. Playing. Yeah. And I think in general, that's an interesting way to think about games, right? Do you like games that give you, that have negative agency feedback loops for the person in first, or are you more interested in games that have positive agency feedback loops for players 
that aren't in first. Yeah. And I would argue perhaps that in practice, they feel pretty similar yeah. <laughs> because you, you get a lot of people complaining like, oh, great. So I'm getting like if everybody behind you gets a bunch of points or cards, the feeling is like that you're being punished for being in first place, even if like, no, you're not being punished. It's just everybody else is getting these awesome rewards that you don't get. <laughs> totally. I feel like this is a great example of like catch up mechanisms are best when they feel kind of invisible and don't feel super apparent or like a, a term that I f- hear thrown out a lot in design is a cudgel. And this is like a game design decision that like is as inelegant as possible, right? It's like you're just shoving something in there because it gets the job done, but it's not really elegant and it doesn't really, I don't know. In terms of overall system and like how right. attractive it is, it's like, oh yeah, you could just give that player like three cards. And they yeah, exactly. Be yeah, it's like, oh, this game I've made has a runaway leader problem. So if you're losing by twenty points, you get five points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. like, and now you don't lose by twenty anymore. Problem solved. <laughs> Look how fun the game is. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess let's move on to negative incremental victory condition feedback. I. And these are a lot of times like just what Jake was talking about, like uh, the flip side of like giving someone who's in last place a few extra points could be taking points away from being in first. I think that's a pretty rare example, but that is something where if a player was, if you were first in a given round, you could get, you could lose some of your points. And maybe that game really emphasizes trying to figure out how much different players are going to push forward in the game state such that you can all end up in second. Um, I think more pertinent examples are something like uh, the mind came to came to my mind as a negative incremental victory condition feedback, because every time you fail, you lose a life in that game. Um, so that doesn't affect your agency within the game. You're still the, the core task of playing cards in ascending order is just as difficult or just as easy for your group as it was previously um, based on when you started the start the next round. But you're just getting that little bit of negative feedback that you're closer to losing the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways you could say it reduces your agency if you've lost your last life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The game's over. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's interesting. And I I wonder if like uh, many kind of cooperative games have have more lean into the negative agency loop than uh, competitive games. I know Spirit Island does something very similar, right? Where if you aren't able to clear off the invaders, then they're going to blight the island, which is ultimately a loss condition in the game. Um, and it can also potentially, if you're on the island space that's getting blighted, it could remove your presence as well, which would be the negative agency loop. So it's, it's another one of those examples that's kind of uh, both. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think Burgle Bros is another game, another co-op game that has similar things going on as you sort of get more items and affects affects the abilities that you have and also information about the board. But also there's a mechanic that just like the longer you're there, the harder it is, I believe. It's been a long time since I've played Burgle Bros. I wonder if there, it's kind of hard for me on the spot to think of any examples of cooperative games that don't have negative loops of some kind. It seems like that's almost like mandatory mandatory for the game to be a game yeah i think i think beyond something like super abstract like 
no, we're going to just like color a picture together on a piece of paper. <laughs> right. Which is really, okay. If, if he goes a game, I think coloring a picture, is a, that's just an activity. Okay. But, <laughs> I'm going to call you on that one. Um, I think this one's pretty self-explanatory though, in a lot of ways. So yeah. have you played the game Rummy Cub, Jake? Nope. Okay, then we're going to move on. My, when we were talking, because <laughs> I, I'm not going to venture and wade into these waters and pretend that I can do this on my own. We, I was talking about this with Maya last night, just different types of feedback in games. And she was like, okay, I'm tracking with this idea, but what about Rummy Cub? And I was like, oh, yeah, what about Rummy Cub? That's really interesting. And I think, I guess... What I'm, about what, Rummy Cub? Jo- jump into our uh, Discord. Discord. The link is in the show notes. And please tell us, because we apparently don't know. Yeah, let's talk about the types of feedback and is there a lot or a little in Rummy Cub? I want to talk to you. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think about sort of in terms of you as a gamer, Jake? Yes. What type of feedback loops do you feel like you gravitate to? Or do you feel like you just enjoy games of all types with all different types of feedback loops? I mean, I definitely am an omni gamer. I think one thing that is sort of revealed to me uh, over the course of this podcast project and, and came up in this conversation today is I really like games that have the possibility of jackpots and negative jackpots, bad pots, whatever. Is there, I feel like there's some obvious term that we are just like not thinking of. Um, what like what do they call it in poker? I don't know. Maybe being snake bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I think in poker, is it? I think that's a thing. This sounds like like a, like a Texas term. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> like I like games that have the possibility of that, and even better if like skillful play enables a better chance of of hitting that jackpot. You know, even if it's uh, you know uh, moving a 05 percent chance of something happening to a two percent chance. I think that's something I really enjoy, and I find. Uh, that games that enable that, at least in my experience, are some of the games that have like the highest skill ceiling um, in being able to like manipulate those odds through perfect play. Um, and I was just having an interesting conversation about this with somebody else. I was about you know like basically is poker like a high skill ceiling game, even though the best player in the world could lose any given hand to like a bad player compared to chess. And like, for me, it definitely is like, uh, like there's just so much skill and fun to be found in these types of games. Yeah. I think for me, poker is definitely a high skill, high luck game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of, for me, what sort of thinking through this feedback types of feedback that games can give. One thing that was intrigued me is I realized that I think I really enjoy games with positive agency loops. Um, but I like when they have ceilings on them, it turns out. Like, I really love Kanagawa. I love that I get a little bit of a taste of building up my engine, but I love that it's not an engine-building game. Um, I And I, I don't know if I realized that before. Like, I like games like Underwater City, um, but then games like Arnak, where you, again, you have a little bit of potential to build up, but it's not a game about snowballing, necessarily. It's a game, these games, Arnak and Kanagawa, are more games about efficiency. Um, I guess, you know, whatever. Underwater City's a game about efficiency also, but in sort of a different way. Um, I think I am intrigued by the fact that I'm sort of drawn to positive agency loops that have that sort of cap on top. And I don't think it's negative feedback in a game like in these games. It's just sort of 
the ball can't roll any further. And I think those intrigue me more because it doesn't then make the game pushing the snowball down the hill as fast, faster than everyone else. It makes the game slightly something else in the decision space, which is cool. Definitely. I, I do think uh, these positive agency loops and discovering them are some of the most like exciting aspects of learning games. Um, and, and, you know, and it does feel really satisfying, but I do think like these games went unchecked often. Uh, I take issue with it, whether that's from like bloating the end game up to a point where I find like, you know, it's too long or, you know, the, a certain strategy becomes over centralized. Uh, I do think having that cap on it or, or something pulling it back down is super important. Um, and yeah, I guess like when I think of my favorite game, like my favorite designer, Stefan Feld is a designer that really leans into the incremental victory conditions yeah. and that type of feedback, whether it's Castle of Burgundy, um, Bruges, Carpe Diem, all of those games uh, are really, Carpe Diem is a great example of that with like the forum scoring and the way you're kind of targeting uh, what, what your scoring conditions are going to be. Uh, I, I think it like it creates like a more puzzly experience in some mm. ways, um, which is something I just really enjoy of, of being kind of presented with similar choices, but like a different puzzle, like different inputs and outputs every turn. Um, and yeah, I guess that's something that just uh, really suits my preferences. Yeah, that's awesome. And we've talked before too about how we both love games that have room for achievements uh, and how exciting that can be when there's like conversation that comes out of it. And I also see that you added a note, a note, an, an, a, uh, a note about how does this interact with sports? And I think that's a really interesting question and a good follow up to the kickball episode because I think sports are really interesting in that they're games that you are, when you play sports, I think generally they're based on uh, incremental victory condition feedback, right? There's not a lot of sports that give you a temporary bonus or a temporary downside, though there are some, right? So right. like in hockey, if you, uh, there's like going to the penalty box and then you have to play down a player, that's a negative agency loop For in sure. the game of hockey. That's really can, cool. Red cards in soccer will send you off and you'll have to play down. You can foul out of a basketball game. So there are a uh, real... Uh, negative agency loops in sports not as not as common or any that i know of where you get to bring an extra player onto the field <laughs> but uh, that sounds like it might be a lot of fun um if we yeah. can kind of work that in but yeah it's interesting too oh i have one really quickly jake i'm sorry yeah in yeah. bowling this is an example of the an incremental victory condition feedback being tied to a positive agency loop if you get uh if you bowl a strike uh, you get to throw right, and if you on the last all the way frame. to the end on the last frame, you get to go again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah, we, we cracked it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I do think it's really interesting. Um, and then also, you know, there's like, again, there's like feedback in execution, right? Like when if you're playing golf or disc golf and you take a shot, you know, like the ball or disc is your feedback <laughs> like, yeah. did it go where you want did it go like 100 feet like less far than what you were hoping you could do like you know there's your feedback right there uh you know if you kick a kickball into the air and your opponent runs underneath it and catches it and you're out like there's feedback right there too um so i mean i think it's 
you know, in some ways, like it, like this feedback is omnipresent in, in sports on just, you know, how successful you are in, in what you're like actually trying to execute on the field or your team is trying to execute. Totally. I feel like that's what you've just unpacked is almost a completely separate topic in some ways that we can do a whole episode on too, which is like the feedback of learning. And right. how, how improving at the act of playing a game is feedback in and of itself. And how that feedback loop of getting better is one of the most exciting things in games. And I feel like we've covered that some in like our competitive. Right. And I think episodes. that's layered on top of everything we talked about in this episode Today. too, yeah, right? Definitely. Um, yeah. Also, just want to put this out there because I think I finally figured out like where sports can be placed within like taxonomy of board games which is that they're mega dexterity games. I love it. Mega dexterity <laughs> games. So great. <laughs> Let us know what you think of Jake's uh, taxonomizing of sports as mega dexterity games. And in many cases, mega team dexterity games. I guess most mega games are team games. Yeah. Um, so it kind of fits. Yeah, coaches being pulled in. Oh, I'm totally, I'm hook, line, and seeker on that one. (laughs) Um, But let us know what you think by coming into our Discord and sharing your thoughts on this episode, whether it's on Jake's take on sports as mega dexterity games, uh, what the opposite of a jackpot might be, or really just any rummy cub or any other thoughts you have on feedback. So come hit us on the Discord. Leave us a a comment on our BGG blog. Jake and I read all of them. and we're always excited to see them hit us up on Twitter. Twitter, we actually at, at Decision Spa. Uh, we also have an email. Jake's going to be so mad I'm talking about our email because I don't think either of us check it. But it's it, tell me if I'm wrong. It's decisionspace at gmail.com. Well, you can't tell people we don't check it and then ask us to email us. We, <laughs> well, we have check to it. check it. Now we, we're read check every, it. we read everything you send us on email too. And also, I think if you have any comments or thoughts on the show and the normal places we ask you to reach out, if you want to just send us an email, Jake and I would love to hear from you, whether it's just oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, positive feedback, things you think we should cover, negative feedback about how, how we have it all wrong. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, it's negative is negative feedback about our podcast like a meta negative incremental victory condition. <laughs> <laughs> Does that count as a negative agency loop if we or feel is it a less positive like agency it? loop because it actually it motivates. it motivates us and gives us ways that we can improve to appeal to more listeners for you know better able to achieve our ultimate goal which of course is to rule the world <laughs> or just you know bring more people into the conversation and decision space so just know as you share the podcast with your friends you are aiding jake's quest to rule the world yeah well i just want to say also thank you again to our friends at Hembry for our brand new intro and outro music. They are uh, friends uh, from many of whom, maybe all of whom are based out of my hometown of Lawrence, Kansas. So really grateful to them. And I would highly recommend uh, that you, if you like the snippet of the song you've heard here, check them out on Spotify, YouTube. They're awesome. A great. And song is called Reach Out. And I think with that, uh, I guess the whole Decision Space podcast is in Kansas now. And uh, we'll see you next week with a conversation of villagers. And then again in two weeks to talk about Jaipur. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye. Talking back.